you would stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus, with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We rejoice in it. We thank you that we do not come to it unaided, but we come to it with your Holy Spirit, the one who inspired it, living inside of us, helping us when we are weak in understanding, when we are slow to receive a word and to know how to live in that word, that the same Spirit enlightens hearts and empowers hands and and uh, arms and legs so that we can be obedient to this word. So Holy Spirit, would you work in us what you intended through the recording of this, these verses of Scripture and we make this prayer in Jesus' name and together God's people said, Amen. As we come to this passage today, we'll look at it just for a few minutes. As we said, this is a unique day, not a normal day. We're going through the book of Proverbs on normal Sunday mornings, but today this is more of an exhortation, an encouragement uh, at, to us as a church. And so I just want us to look at these verses briefly and then to think about some of the ways that God is doing this in our life. We see here as the chapter begins that the Apostle Paul has been writing to the church in Rome and apparently there are some people that are stronger in the faith and some that are weaker in the faith. He began his first 11 chapters are the most uh, uh, dense, uh, in some ways difficult, but glorious chapters in all of scripture about the teachings of our salvation if you want to know how we're saved and what that salvation means and and what is justification and then sanctification if you want to understand those things that's what those first 11 chapters are meant to lay out the foundation that we have in jesus christ it's literally spelling out in the most detailed and the most wonderful terms that we have anywhere in Scripture, the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. But from chapter 12 through this chapter, chapter 15, we have the Apostle Paul then saying, on the foundation of Christ and all that the salvation we have in Christ, how are you to live together? In A.D. 49... All of the Jews that were living in Rome 
were forced out by an edict of the Roman emperor Claudius. Claudius didn't want them in this imperial capital city. They were forced out until his death in AD 54. So five year period that all of the Jews, which there were many living in Rome, were forced away. So during that five year period, the church in Rome were, was made up of believers who were from a Gentile background. They did not grow up with the Old Testament. They did not grow up with the covenants. They weren't uh, of the, the bloodline of Abraham. And that group of people then sort of took on leadership in the church in Rome. When Claudius dies in AD 54, the Jews like Aquila and Priscilla and others that we read about in the Acts of the Apostles, they return to Rome. Now, they return in mass. And so when they're there, there's a large number of Jews that come back into the church and there are a large number of, of Gentiles and together they believe in Jesus Christ, but they have different cultural understandings. Uh, some of the Jews want to emphasize certain food regulations that are from the Old Testament. Uh, they want to emphasize the Sabbath day. They want to emphasize um, things that you can and cannot do. And, and in chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is trying to show how there is first, in, in 12 and 13, there are certain moral principles that are true for all Christians everywhere. But in chapter 14, he says there are issues that are issues of conscience, and there's liberty in that. You don't have to do this, but if you, uh, if you uh, say you don't want to eat a particular food, then that's up to you, and the brother who has a different opinion than you should not cause you to stumble. We should not do anything to hurt a brother for whom Christ died, as he says in chapter 14. So what you see is a church that is growing, that is strong, but there is a lot of tension between the Jewish background believers and the Gentile background believers. And so as he comes to the end of the book here in 15, and then he has some final greetings in chapter 16, he wants to, to put before them the vision of what a church that is, has been based upon the doctrine of Christ and his salvation, that is living out the commands of love, that knows how to give freedom to people who have different opinions about secondary issues, about issues of practice, that, that people can hold different opinions. And, and the one who, the, the group that have the opinions that, look, you know, in Christ we're free, he calls them the strong. The people who think, well, you know, I can't eat certain things because that it would be a stumbling block or that's difficult for my conscience, he calls them the weak. And in every congregation, you always have believers that are stronger, and you have believers that are weaker. And this was true from the very beginning, and it's true in every congregation that I know of today. It's true in our congregation. People who've been Christians longer, people who have taken the Word of God to heart more fully. So what do we do? Do we say, well, if you're not strong, or if you're not at this certain point, we don't want you here. You notice what he says is that those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Congregations are always going to have people at different levels of spiritual maturity and the job of all of us together, particularly those who are a little stronger in the faith, is not to judge other people, 
but it's to come alongside them and to literally, as it says, to bear with. It's possible to translate that to bear up to carry, that literally sometimes there are believers who come and they're struggling with sin in their life or they're struggling with some doubts or they're struggling with maybe a sense of legalism about this issue or that issue and our job is not to push them down, not to jump on them, but to come alongside them and to pick them up, to carry them. Just like your children when they're growing up and they're having difficulties in their teenage years, you don't just say, you know what, I quit, I give up, you're not where I want you to be. We realize that maturity takes time and it takes those who are a little more mature, a little farther along in the faith to say, you know what? I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to stay with you. We're not going to cast you to the side because you're not where you need to be. Do you see what's going on there? This is a key point. When people say, I can be a Christian and I can stay at home, and I can have all that I need by watching, and he is a great preacher, by watching Charles Stanley and having my cup of coffee and my bedroom slippers, and I'm good. You are missing out on the, on the way that God wants to grow you up. When you stay at home and you literally forsake the assembling of yourselves together, you are forsaking one of God's ways to mature you. You will be matured by being around brothers and sisters. Marianne mentioning you, one of the things, you know, you think about it. Marianne's coming in this morning. I've seen her when physically it was so difficult for her to get to church. And what does she do? She keeps coming. You know what she's doing? She's teaching me. She's teaching me. She's teaching you. It's not just because you do it when it's easy. It's not just you do it when you're physically well and mobile. You are faithful. You endure in whatever condition your body is in. And what does that do? It teaches us how to persevere, how to endure, how to keep running the race, even when we're running a little more slowly. So what do you do? He says, not to please ourselves. Isn't that the truth there? Notice verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You notice he says it over and again, not to please ourselves, not to please ourselves. You know what I would have to say, having been a pastor now for 27 years, I think is the absolute Achilles heel of most Christians who are seeking a church family is they go to church to be pleased. They go to church to be a consumer of religious services. They come and they say, the whole point is if they've got to please me, the music's got to be the way I want it, the sanctuary's got to be the way I want it, the temperature's got to be the way I want it, everybody's got to dress the way I want it, everybody's got to talk the way I want it, everything has got to go exactly the way I want it. And if it isn't, I'm not pleased, and either I'll be unhappy or I'll leave and go somewhere else. And what you see is the church, within the bounds of preaching the gospel, within the bounds of standing upon the word of God, that there's going to be differences, that people are different, that you've got strong, that you've got weak. But the mindset we need to come to church with is, this is not about me being pleased by everybody else, but me learning how to be a blessing to the people that God has beside me, in front of me, around me. If we would just shift that mentality of saying we're not consumers of church, 
We are givers to church. We come and we give of ourselves. We come and we get to know people. We encourage people. We bless people. It's not what I can get, but what I can give. And let me just tell you this little secret from the Bible. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Did you hear that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know what that means? It means when you think, you know what, if I just have to go and I have to serve and I've got to try to, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm waiting for everybody to greet me. But instead, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go greet somebody else. Do you know what happens? The fundamental problem we have as humans is that we are so self-centered, so selfish, and we think that happiness is going to come as we get, as we get, as we get. And the gospel, and here living it out in the church, says, you know what? The secret to happiness and to blessedness is when you realize you will be happier and more blessed when you're pleasing others rather than seeking to be pleased. What an amazing transformation. And, and, and that, that core sin that we have of selfishness, you can't fight watching your TV. You cannot fight that sin, but you can fight it together as God places us in a body. Notice that even Christ, our example, he didn't please himself. I mean, he literally came and his life was filled with insults and persecution and reproaches. The reproaches that people hated God were poured out on Jesus. And so when we look at it and we say, I don't want to suffer for Jesus. I don't want any things to be difficult. I don't want to go to church with people that maybe I don't always see eye to eye with. You Then you're not understanding. Jesus has given us the path. And the path is, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be filled with insults. It's going to be filled with persecution. It's going to be filled with affliction. But the point is, is Jesus didn't come to bless himself. He came to bless a needy, lost, weak, sinful, rebellious people. And we have been made his family. And now Jesus as our head is himself being blessed as his people are one by one being brought in from the four corners of the earth. Notice in verse 4 it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Do you know what that verse is? That verse is just very plainly teaching us that the Bible is not just a book to put on your shelf. It's not just a book to say you believe it. It was written for the purpose of giving us endurance and encouragement. That the Bible, this was written down to be an, a book of instruction, to be a book that will be fuel for us as we are going through our journey of life. So he's telling the church, Look, you've got to stay centered on the Bible. You've got to have the Word of God in your life because it was written down for your endurance and for your encouragement. Here, obviously, he was talking about the Old Testament. There was no New Testament. He's writing it right then. So he's saying the Old Testament. At our church, we believe all 66 books are breathed out by God and we need them all. We want them all. We found as we began our church going through the second half of Genesis, what a blessing that was. We went through for years through Ephesians, and that strengthened us in those basics of the Christian faith. We went through Matthew for four years as we, we learned about the person and work of Jesus. And now we're finding that the book of Proverbs is one of those books that was given to us for life and for godliness, and we need them all. We want every vitamin that the Bible can give us, and, and, and certain books have more of one vitamin than another. And so it's written in there 
for the vitamins of endurance and, and encouragement. That's what the Bible does. If you, don't have the, if you find yourself running low, it's because you've not been taking this word of God in. But notice there's an ultimate purpose to the scriptures. It says through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Encouragement and endurance are not the end. The end is hope. Let me just tell you, you want to look around, and I'm just amazed at even Christians this way. Christians have given up. We look at the world and we go, man, this thing is such a mess, even Jesus can't fix it. That's hopelessness. I don't care what the political situation is. I don't care who becomes president. I don't care what's happening in the geopolitical scene. I don't care what wars and rumors of wars. Let me just tell you, we are a people who have a firm hope. We know hope is that future orientation of faith that says that God is in control and that God is victorious and come what may. We are confident that the plan and purposes of God in Jesus Christ will be fulfilled and hell itself cannot stop the kingdom of God as it moves forward. And so we have that hope. We have that confidence. Let me just tell you, if you don't have hope, this, I've told you this a few weeks ago, if you're low on hope, it's because you're high on news. This is just how it works. If you are have taking in more of the news of the world into your mind, you're just going to just absolutely be fretting, and you're going to be like, oh my, the world's going to pieces, and there's no hope. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus and upon the scripture that was given for an endurance and encouragement, and you, you ground yourself in the word of God, then all of a sudden, everything that's happening in the world Literally, it pales. It literally pales compared to the glory and the plan and the purposes of King Jesus. And so we need to be a people. When you start to hear yourself being just depressed about the future, depressed about the culture, depressed about the country, depressed about what's going on, let me offer to you, let me suggest to you that you have your eyes more on the world than on the word. When you get your eyes on the word, it is there for a purpose, not to puff you up with knowledge, not to make you a person who is going to point and and put everybody else down, but instead a person who's going to have endurance, a person who's going to have encouragement. And let me just tell you, I don't know about you, but those are some precious things. I, I, I would have to say one of the greatest struggles in my life through the years of being a pastor, and Buff, you've seen me a long time, one of the things that you and I both, we've, we've been through this through the years, is discouragement. You know, you get discouraged. You get discouraged with yourself. You get discouraged with church. I, I can't tell you how many people I've met in my life who just quit on church, right? They say, ah, man, it's just, they did me wrong, it was bad, and they just quit. Let me tell you, If your church is a place where the word of God is read, where the word of God is preached, that is going to be fuel to strengthen you. That is meant for your endurance and for your encouragement. Now we then move to the final two verses, or final three verses, five through seven. This is his 
his good words, his benediction to the church there. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Do you notice there it says that God is the God who of endurance and encouragement. What did it say about the scriptures? Endurance and encouragement. See, the scriptures, the reason they have power, this is not Paul's epistle. Yes, he was a man and he wrote it, but he was carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. You have a one-to-one parallel between the Scripture being a Scripture that gives us encouragement and endurance and God being the one who is the source of encouragement and endurance. Because this is God's Word. No other book on planet Earth can claim that truly. This is God's word, and God is not uh, here to discourage. He's not here to dissuade you. He is here to build you up. He wants to encourage you. He wants to give you endurance so that you will make it not just today, but all the way to the finish line. What is this encouragement endurance? Remember, a church intention. Different backgrounds, different ideas, different maturity levels. And he says, the, the whole purpose of the scriptures and of what God's work in your life is that you live in harmony together in accord with Christ Jesus. Beautiful word, harmony. Not the word that everybody's singing the exact same thing, but there's a sense of like-mindedness. You come into this place, and I've said this about, to people many times about Christ's community. We are a people who are like-minded when it comes to the Bible. We're people who are like-minded when it comes to the gospel. We're people who are like-minded when it comes to Jesus Christ. We're, we're people who are like-minded when it comes to the Trinity, one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And beyond that, you could find almost every opinion about all kinds of things in this church. And people who do different things, have different jobs, different backgrounds, uh, uh, all kinds of things. But that the core, we are in unity. We are like-minded around Jesus Christ. How do you find unity? Unity is not by trying to draw near to each other. It's by trying to draw near to Christ through his word. And when you are near Christ and everybody else in the church is moving near to Christ, what do you find? You find that you're right there together. You are not seeking unity for the sake of unity. You're not lowering the bar. Just say, let's all try to get along even though we have different ideas about core beliefs about Scripture. Instead, we have the high bar of Jesus Christ. We all run to Him. And when we run to Him, we find right there at our left and our right a brother and sister in Christ. What's the purpose of this? That together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, our unity is not the gospel, but as the Old Testament says, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. God commands his blessing in a place like that. Our our unity is something that literally makes the world either sit up and say, you know what, those people, they love each other. Jesus said as much. He says, by this, by your love for one another, will all men know that you are my disciples. So our united love for each other, despite our differences, despite different spiritual maturity level, despite different backgrounds, that is going to be something that the world will sit up and take notice. In the same way, when churches are divided and filled with strife, the world says, well, whatever they're talking about, we don't want any part of it. 
So let me just tell you, make it a resolution in your heart right now. Lord, as long as I breathe, I want to live and die in your church. I want, if, if, your, if the church is standing upon the scripture, standing upon Christ, standing upon the gospel, Lord, no matter how many challenges we have, I will be united with that body. I will be united with that group together because, Lord, it matters. The world will, will cover their ears if they hear disharmony, if they hear discordant notes, that we need to put a guard over our lips about things that are secondary and unimportant, that we need to say we're going to link arms and we are going to sing at the top of our voices we are going to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the world will notice. Sometimes we, we feel like, oh, we're such a small church. Jesus had 12 disciples. And one fell away. And yet those 11 were literally used of God in a mighty way as they were confident in Jesus, confident in the Scriptures, and they went to the ends of the earth, and through them, God birthed a people that have continued down through the ages until you have 2,000 years later and 7,000 miles away from a, a hill called Calvary that you have a group of people that would have been beyond the edge of the earth in the time of Christ. And here we are. We're praising God. Jesus, let me tell you, there's only one word for that, and that is a miracle. That is a miracle. So would you, with me, say, Lord, I want to unite my voice to a body that believes you, to a group of Christians that their whole goal is not to bring praise to themselves. The name Christ Community Church will fade, but that the name of Christ, the name of the Father, and the name of the Holy Spirit, the the one name into which we are baptized, it will only grow sweeter and brighter and more beautiful as we go forward. In the final verse, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Um, this, is, this is huge. Uh, this is huge. Our church, we need to be the most welcoming place. People of every ethnicity, every language, every age, old, young, Every background, if, they are, if they're committing to Christ, we welcome them. We say, here. If, if they're interested in Christ and, and we can share Christ with them, we welcome anyone and everyone through those doors and into our fellowship. You know, it's been one of the great joys of these years. Um, I think back to the Sunday afternoon um, when we had baptism out at Fisher River. How sweet that was. Carrie, you were baptized out there. Michael was baptized out there. And Corbin and Cassidy and Callie. Um, there were others that were baptized that day. What a beautiful day. Renee, I think about the day you were baptized right here. Beautiful day. I think first baptism in this building. Praise God. God saved you. Let me just tell you. Now, I'm not, gonna, I'm not arguing about eternal purposes. But let me just tell you. That's how God has chosen to get those things done through this local body. <laughs> That's how he's chosen to do it. He might would have done it some other way. He's God. His purpose is stand. But he's chosen to do it. And we just need to rejoice. I think about um, Ian. 
being baptized here. I don't know if any of you have been in times when we offer people to pray. And Ian's little fellow, I don't know, I guess he's nine. How old's Ian? He's about nine. He's eight, okay? And, and to hear Ian pray, oh, man, that's sweet. What a sweet blessing. You know what? God's chosen to do that through this local body. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than all the others that were gathered in. And yet sometimes we see, oh yeah, so-and-so, they got saved, they're baptized, and we act like it's no big deal. More excited about who won the the ball game than about a person who was headed straight to an eternal hell who's been saved by the mercy and grace of God. And we're grateful. We've seen people come by God's hand and by his mercy. And we pray that as we join arms in unity and harmony around the person of Jesus Christ, that that will only increase. One of the first members of our church um, that went to be with the Lord was Dot Venable. And there are quite a few of you in this room that know Dot. And Dot was a faithful, strong believer who had been through a lot. Her husband had been an invalid for years. She looked after him. It was really a challenging thing. But one of the things is, is Dot left me some of her, her hymnals when she died. And this is a beautiful hymnal. And I, there's many days of the week, if not every day, I always try to read a hymn from this old hymnal that I got from our first member who went to be with the Lord, Dot Venable. And, and let me just read this hymn as we, we end and we prepare to pray. <clears throat> this hymn says, May every pastor from above be new inspired with zeal and love to watch thy flock, thy flock to feed, and sow with care the precious seed. Revive thy churches with thy grace. Heal all our breaches. Grant us peace. Rouse us from sloth. Our hearts inflame with ardent zeal for Jesus' name. May young and old thy word receive. Dead sinners hear thy voice and live. The wounded conscience healing find. And joy refresh each drooping mind. May aged saints matured with grace abound in fruits of holiness. And when transplanted to the skies, may younger in their stead, arise. May it be so. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, we consider many things a privilege in life, but Lord, to be a part of the miracle of the Spirit-born church of Jesus Christ is truly the greatest in our life, Lord, that That though once we were dead, now we are alive. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that we have seen you sustain this local congregation. We have seen you bless us and strengthen us. And, And Lord, that's not often because of us, but more often despite us. And Lord, what we want to do on this eighth anniversary as we sit here is we just want to say, Lord, we want to be renewed in our commitment to this congregation as it follows Christ. To this congregation as it stands upon the gospel, as it stands upon the word of God. 
Lord, help us to pour more of ourselves into it, not less. Lord, because when time is done and eternity commences, Lord, that we would look around and we would know that we were a part of what mattered most, and that is bringing people to Christ, building people up in Christ. Lord, that we would, we would bear with one another, that we would, we would loathe disunity, that, Lord, that we would let everything that is secondary and unessential, Lord, we would just let it go to the side and instead we would link arms and we would join voices and we would say, in Christ alone, our hope is found. Lord, may we do that and may a watching world not be drawn to us, but be drawn to the one who would save miserable wretches, unclean sinners like every person in this room who has been washed by the blood of Jesus. Lord, thank you. Now, Lord, as we continue and in our time of fellowship, Lord, after the service, Lord, I just ask for another eight years. Lord, as Buff said, 88 years. Lord, till Jesus comes, may this church be singing his praises at 507 Riverside or wherever you take us. In Jesus' name we pray. And together God's people said, Amen.